0: All right, let me count you down. Count us down.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, go ahead and count us down. I already started recording, but I'll cut it later.
0: All right, three, two, one. All right, hello, everybody. We are back. Podcast number three for physics. Um, today, we're going to be covering time itself and the weirdness of time. This was brought about by the recent movie uh, by Christopher Nolan, which we'll get to in a moment, but uh, it's called Tenet. It's a fun time you saw it in theaters rightly oh
1: yeah love i love chris nolan how was the uh
0: experience that was your first movie i assume first movie
1: back post-covid um yeah it was nice socially distanced uh at alamo draft house and um yeah it was just great to be out and christopher nolan movies are always best experienced in theater big screen format
0: yeah, I agree. I went with my friend and we were the only ones in the theater. So that was kind of cool because it was still like opening week, I think. So that won't yeah. happen again. Um, but yeah. So first off, a couple things here. We wanted to, in terms of an introduction or in terms of describing why we're even doing these, this podcast, um, I think it's helpful to stop every once in a while and, and just sort of think, okay, so why do we even care about physics? What is it about discussing these topics that makes... Us um, so interested, and in, we assume makes one or two other people interested too. Um, so let's pause a moment. Let's zoom out uh, to the macro level um, and think. Okay, so what is it about physics here? You've been studying physics for a very t- long time, Lee, and yet you still want to explore these topics more. I mean, we, even in our in a, even in our uh, uh, pre-podcast meeting here, you you were fascinated by these topics, and um, they seem to be almost eternally interesting, I guess, each time you think about them. So what is it about physics that you
1: enjoy? Uh, yeah, I guess um, my initial interest in physics was always that it reminds me a lot of puzzles and games. Solving mm-hmm. at least, um, yeah, solving physics problems is uh, akin to, you know, getting to the end of a puzzle, right? You get that satisfaction when you finally solve the puzzle. Um, And so that was my initial fascination is that in in solving uh, rudimentary physics problems, it is just like solving a puzzle. But then that passion sort of grew. And I got more enjoyment out of just the discovery process, even if there wasn't an answer at the end, which many physics questions and paradoxes don't have a solution. um, It's the, the it's that thought experiment of going through and thinking about it that is just so fascinating. And it is the fact that there is still so much in the world, in the universe, that we just have no idea about. And that is just fascinating to me.
0: Yeah, when you were mentioning a puzzle there at the beginning, that reminded me of um, James, who works with us, people listening to this podcast. Some of you will know James, but um, one time he was, he's a big puzzle guy. One time he was working on this like massive puzzle um, and he, it took him forever but he was just you know dedicated to it and he got to the very end and there was one puzzle piece missing uh he was so angry and i can only imagine that's how it is for a lot of physicists i don't know if they're angry or not but they get to the very end and there's always something missing right there's always some new thing that they're going to have to account for and then redo the whole puzzle eventually
1: it's it can be maddening imagine spending your entire life's work on solving uh, a physics conundrum only to find out that there is no solution for it or that it would work, and many physicists have gone crazy with I that can, exact thing,
0: yes. I would assume so, it makes sense. Um, but yeah.
1: So Josh, uh, what, is your, what is your fascination with physics?
0: Good question, Lee. Um, I guess, certainly not on the technical level. Uh, I remember, I took, I mean, I really only took one physics class and that was in high school. Um, and I was somewhat interested in it, but I think at the time, just the amount of formulas that I had to memorize and then math that I had to work through. Kind of put me off of it. Um, I think that the concepts behind physics, though, have always been deeply interesting to me to understand w- why the world is as it is, or at least to get another perspective of why the world is as it is, I think is something that's going to always be um, curious to me, and I think curious to most people. And physics is one of the, the most uh, technical, I guess technical processes that we've developed as a species up to this point, and a lot of it's very complicated, but it's still dealing with with things that everyone has thought about or wondered about at one point or another. And I think that's one of the way, uh reasons this podcast could be helpful, or at least why I find it interesting, is because I haven't uh, self proclaimed expert like yourself. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. You, you don't like that that term. No, um, but. Mm, savant? I don't know. What? What should we call you? Oh,
1: no, not, neither of those. I am, uh, maybe an intermediate physicist. A passionate, intermediate physicist, maybe is uh, a PIP
0: passionate PIP. intermediate PIP. physicist. Okay, PIP. Um, but I at least am able to discuss these issues and and ask good. I think decent questions to you, and then you can help maybe give me some more context and flush out some of these questions for me. So that's why I enjoy it. Yeah, great. Well, in in that regard, let's get into some of these questions here. So today we're covering, like I mentioned at the beginning. Oh, wait, I always forget to do this. Okay, if you're listening right now, please subscribe to our channel, um, to Lee's YouTube channel, to my podcast. Again, share it with others if you enjoy it or if you find it half interesting or you think someone else would enjoy it. Um, yeah, the more more people that listen, the more interesting questions we can get in our next YouTube live session.
1: Yeah, and, and on YouTube, you can't just click the like or subscribe button. You have to smash it. It's all the popular YouTube say, oh, smash it. So I don't know what that means to smash a button. Maybe you can never <laughs> use it again, but you're supposed to smash the like or subscribe button.
0: Yeah, I'm a little too old to truly understand what that means. But there might be like an epidemic of broken computers across the country if yeah. uh, people take it too seriously. Okay, so back to the issue at hand. Time, time's already progressed. uh, Progressed. I don't know how many minutes. About ten minutes now since we started this podcast, Um, and it's obviously not going to go backwards, or will it go backwards? Um, Like we mentioned, this was brought on by Christopher Nolan's new movie, which is, I would say, mind-bending is a good way to describe it. Lee, would you like to maybe give not the plot per se, but what are some of the most interesting sort of physics? concepts that nolan like plays around with in this movie
1: yeah just like his previous movies he sort of questions the nature of how we observe the universe uh as one of my favorite movies is inception that one has to do with dreams and being able to recreate and even um get inserted into someone else's dreams tenant covers the concept of of time and 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 Basically the directionality of time. Is it possible to create a device um, or a a substance which would allow you to travel backwards in time? And if you have a forward stream and a backward stream of time happening at the same time, is there any sort of paradox? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, what, would you, what could you manipulate if you did? So it is, it is very interesting. Uh, so I think that's, that's what it is, is like multiple directions of time.
0: Yeah, there's a whole lot of what if questions we could ask about that movie. Perhaps some of them are plot holes. Perhaps some of them are, are quite brilliant. But we'll, we'll leave that perhaps for another full podcast, maybe after uh, people have had a chance to see it. Um, yeah. But that does lead us into a good overview of what we're going to discuss today. Um, you've already touched upon most of them. We're gonna start off here talking about the direction of time itself. Um, Again, why does time always move forward or does time always move forward? And then from there, we'll move on to measuring time. Again, how do we measure time? Why do we measure time? Um, How finely tuned is time? Can we get it down to the most micro level? And then finally, everybody's favorite paradoxes. I love these ones just because they make no sense and they hurt your brain. Which I enjoy. Uh, So we'll get to those last again. For some reason, when you start traveling back in time, there's a lot of lot of weird things start happening. A lot of paradoxes start immediately uh, emerging. Who would have thought? I know. Who would have thought? I'd say certainly. I mean, I don't know what other kind of concepts there are like that, but it does seem like time travel seems to produce the most paradoxes right away. Like as soon as we start questioning something that we've already we've always sort of assumed that time just goes forward and we're like, well, what if we went backwards? Everything just falls apart. Um, so, all right, let's start off here with direction of time. Um, so, there's a couple ways to think about this. One, if we take it from the personal level, obviously, time always moves forward, right? As much as we don't want it to, as much as we want to stay the same age, um we want to maintain our youth or perhaps as much as we want to go forward quickly so we can get to something that we're waiting for um it will progress at the same speed but it also progresses quite relatively too like einstein's famous quote about this was i think like a minute uh sitting on a on a hot stove top uh feels like an eternity where or it feels like an hour where an hour spent with a beautiful woman feels like a minute, something like that. You know, there's many different ways you could, you could phrase that. But, um, so time itself is relative in many ways. If you're doing something you love versus something you hate, time will go more quickly or less quickly, but it does always seem to move forward. Is that, is that indeed true on the technical level? Lee?
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe just a quick comment on the, the, um, the perception of time uh, and, and times relativity, I feel like that might be just as much a, a a biological and neurological question as it is a physics question, like how we perceive and save memories. Um, probably disrupts our uh, perception of the passage of time. So we will not cover that today because I am definitely not an i ex- I'm even less of an expert in that than I am in the technical nature of time. So um, yeah really interestingly, when you start studying physics um, at at, the, at a higher level, you start to see that uh, a lot of microscopic physics properties are time invariant and that means that um, time is essentially symmetric what happens it, it happens in the past and happens in the future happens so at at the, at the same rate and and are symmetric, so therefore you could move an equation backwards in time and you can move it forward in time and it's essentially just there's there's no difference. Um, That is certainly a great theoretical treatise but it doesn't make sense to us on the macroscopic level, right? Like as you said, um, we only observe time in one direction and so sort of a classic example is like If you were to watch a video of an egg cracking, you would know that that's in forward in time. But if you watch a video of an egg uncracking going from a crack state to a hole, it's, you know, something is wrong. You know, the universe doesn't work like that. So um, macroscopic observations are only one directional. And I think probably the reason why um, there's so many paradoxes is because Causation determines so much of what we do in the world, right? It, it, time, I think, is even more of an important concept than space, right? If you think mm-hmm. about when you go to go to meet somebody, it's just like, what time are we meeting, right? Like, where we're meeting, we'll we'll figure that out later, but like, we have to be there at the same time. We have to make sure we're going there at the same time. Um, And if you meet somebody, then you'll meet somebody after. Um, And if you eat, then you won't be hungry after. So there's a lot of causation that happens with time. So um, certainly we observe it to be that way. Um, Is there any physics that dictates that it should? What do you think, Josh? Is there any physics that that says that it has to go one direction?
0: Um, I would assume that there is at least some physics out there that says it has to go one direction because... It wouldn't make sense if it didn't actually exist, if that makes sense. Like, I'm sure they're going to be, and we'll get into it in a moment, but I'm sure they're going to be interesting theories that arise when we view things on like a microscopic level. But I think our perception of time on a macro level is so, like it's one of the mo- most fundamental sort of assumptions we live by. I mean, just think of it psychologically. if you were to say like anytime someone 's stuck in the past, that 's not a good thing, right, or if you 're trying to return back to something that happened to you previously, that's never going to result in growth or maturity on a on a personal level um, well, maybe maybe not never, but um, those sorts of things you can't always be looking backwards or even try and return to the past because it 's just not helpful Now you can look back on the past and try and you know resolve past traumas you had, but um, you can't go back there. So I don't know, what do you think about that?
1: I think you've hit on something very important, which probably falls outside of the realm of physics and falls under more of the, the field of uh, psychology and, and potentially sociology. And I think that's that, we, I think as a species, what makes humans unique is we, we can regret things, right? We, we can focus on like what we did in the past and, and we can use that to change our behavior. I think we probably do that to our detriment. I can't tell you how many hours i hours or days or months I've wasted thinking like, I really, I should have done this instead of this. Well, yeah, yeah sure. But there's nothing you can do about that now. So you stressing is not doing anything. Think about if it happens again, what would you do differently or how would you position yourself? And um, the physics driving this has to do with thermodynamics. Um doesn't seem like that would be a field that would dictate our passage of time. But uh, the second law of thermodynamics states that the entropy of the universe is always increasing. It's actually a little bit more technical than that, but that's essentially what it says. And so you say, okay, great. The entropy always increases. Uh, What is entropy? (laughs) Entropy is essentially a measure of the disorder in the universe or the disorder in a system. So, an egg in its natural state, right after it's been laid, it has relatively low entropy as compared to an egg that is cracked. It's very disordered, it's asymmetric, um, it's very difficult to quantify it. Um, you know, same thing like if you have an ice cube, a perfectly um, cubic ice cube, you could define it really well. Well, if you take a jackhammer to that and you smash it into thousands of pieces, it's a lot harder to describe that state. It's a lot more disordered. And so it now kind of makes sense that time has to flow forward because things are always getting more disordered, right? When you are um, a baby, you know, you present some disorder in the universe, but as you grow up um, and, and get older, you have more and more things, you have more information, you persuade other people's information. Um, and even as the universe expands, it's um, it's harder and harder to describe the universe. And so, um, you know, that's basically what, um, what drives uh, the causation or the, or the one directional movement of time is that if if entropy is only gonna increase, then time can only go forward. You can't go backward again because it would just, it, it would be very weird for us to just, like we had eaten something and now we have uneaten it and now the egg is uncracked and now it is unlaid and that chicken is unborn. You know, it just, it doesn't make sense to us, so.
0: Yeah, although, I mean, the interesting thing there is it seems like while the law of the universe is that things will tend towards disorder. I would think that the anomalous thing about life itself is that life is the struggle for order. Because, like, if you're a baby, you're not going to feel disorder until you're probably, I don't know what age these days, maybe 50, who knows? Uh, Maybe you could tell me a little bit
1: better than me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Hopefully you don't wait till that long till you realize your life is Well,
0: But you can feel, you can feel things change, right? You can feel the same sort of like you feel different. And then as you end the, like near the end of your life, obviously, once you die, that's disorder, right? You, you like, dissolve out of, I mean, whatever happens next, it's disorder, but there are brief periods of order. Like even the egg, um, and now our example that you gave, the egg itself has to be formed within the hen, right? And that is a creation of order for some reason. And then you crack it and you can't get it back after that. Like once you crack it, there's no going back, which is the part that, which is the part that makes sense there, but it is this strange thing about life that there's some weird clawing towards order for some reason.
1: Yeah, well, I think, um, again, I think that's definitely a a psychological construct that, we, you know, like, in our mind, even, like, the difference between your room being organized and your room being disorganized likely doesn't change the mm-hmm. entropy that much. The entropy, it's tough to visualize, but, you know, you could probably just think about it as how – E- how easy is it to describe the state of it, right? So you could pretty easily describe the state of a newborn and say, here's um, from the time he was born, here's the, 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 the sonograms, here's um, the weight at birth, here's the eye color, here's this. Imagine trying to describe your entire life to somebody, right? Like to describe every single person that you influenced, all everything you bought, everything you created, that is all adding other variables into the universe. And at some point, it probably becomes increasingly difficult to quantify all of those. So Yeah, that makes um, sense. Yeah. So yeah, I think probably a good follow-up to that is to to think about the reason why we are one of the theories of why we're in an increasing entropy state is that the big bang, um, started at a minimum entropy state. So at the point of the big bang, it was pretty easy to characterize the universe. And after that, um, you know, particles started, or, um, atoms started getting bigger and bigger. It started off by quarks getting together and making, Hydrogen and then they made helium and then other sort of systems started to come together. Then planets started to form and then biological beings started to form. And so um, That low enter- entropy state um, Essentially the only way to progress from there was to be in an increasing entropy state. So Okay, okay. so very
0: similar actually to a newborn, I, I guess in terms of analogy at the beginning, pretty easy to describe as it expanded out, more and more things happened, more and more complexity um, occurred, which led to more disorder and entropy. Yep. Interesting, so that means that time can only go forwards. Is there a way that time, I mean, how would we even conceive conceive of time going backwards though? I mean, would we have to reverse entropy basically?
1: Yeah, um, I think you could consider, yeah, if you considered the universe starting in a maximum entropy state, it's kind of tough. Um, To me, it seems kind of tough to visualize that, that like, imagine the universe starting with everybody already in it, right? You just came to being, and all of a sudden, you're just in this maximum entropy state and then all of a sudden you start getting younger until the point at which you die which is what we consider now you being born um, but it would essentially just the life cycle would start would just be reversed you start really old or you start older and then you always get younger and then you just observe that you know essentially what is interesting is um, as we know it the f- Physics seem odd, right? So gravity would would go up instead of down. How would that I, work? Well, think about how we observe um, how we observe things, right? Oh, okay. so if I hold this yeah. pen. Yeah. Uh, in one second, it's going to be here, and so I know that if I start a stopwatch, it's and I drop something, it's always going to go down. Mm. If time is going reverse, I know that if I let go of this out of its hand, it's going to go up um and yeah it's it's kind of tough to think about it but i guess that is one um possible way to think about time going in reverse
0: okay so that would basically this just then kind of be the end of this universe and then work your way backwards in a way yeah um so then time that seems to be i mean this is kind of another topic perhaps but time and space which is are in, inextricably linked because both of them create entropy. So if you're going forward in time, more entropy occurs. If you go backwards in time, less entropy occurs.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you just hit the nail on the head, Josh, that like that's why space-time are, is considered you know one object. is not this is space and this is time. They are linked um, through gravity.
0: Mm. Okay.
1: All right. That is fascinating.
0: Next up here, we have measuring time. So again, since time really only goes forward, at least on the, on the macro level. Um, there are obviously different ways to measure time. Um, what, what are some ways that physicists use time or, or measure time? Because I, I mean, obviously you can measure time by the sun, um, by the passage of days. Uh, but again, even days themselves are different for where you live in the world. Um, or what season you're in, that all changes. But there are ways to more objectively measure time. Is that
1: correct? Yes, absolutely. And uh, we are already discussed in one of our previous podcasts that time dilates, uh, depending on whether or not you're close to very massive objects like black holes. Mm-hmm. But assuming that um, we are just sitting here on Earth, um, you know, the atomic clock is probably the the most understood, uh, time measuring device. Um, I most, you know, you can go on Amazon now and buy a clock that is synchronized to an atomic clock for $10 now. Um, and it gets a radio signal from the atomic clock so that you are always on the same time as everybody in the world. Um, you know, for the most part, it seems like overkill to have to even have something that is accurate to within a second, right? Like if I show up a second late for our lunch meeting, is that really, like, would you even notice that, right? Like, you would you be looking and saying, you said you were gonna be here at 1130, you're at 1130 in one second, right? Um, so the atomic clock measures events to within femtoseconds, which is a billionth of a millionth of a second.
0: Okay, that's pretty um, easy to comprehend. <laughs>
1: Pretty easy to comprehend, right? It's just like, yeah. boy, if I only had a few extra femtoseconds in my life, think about how much more I could get accomplished.
0: Yeah, I man. How do um, they? Well, how do they even? This might be too technical of a question, but how do they even do that? How do they like measure to such a fine degree? What are some
1: ways that they do it? God, I probably should have done research on this. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it has to do. Uh, I I could be mistaken. I think it has to do with um, a cesium atom. So they take. Um, they'll, they'll take an an atom. And if you look at the periodic table, there's these things called isotopes, which is just an atom, which has more neutrons. Um, And for the most part, atoms traditionally only like to stay in one state, right? They know that it's like, Hey, there's too many neutrons in here. Like we'll keep it here for, you know, a minute or a day. And so these things have half-lives before it will decay. And so, there are certain uh, atoms that have very um, exact decay rates. And so they find Mm. something that has an exact decay rate um, and they're able to measure it on that time scale. And they know, Hey, this thing always happens at six femtoseconds. And I think it's, I think that is the accuracy, plus or minus one femtosecond. So I think that's what the atomic clock. And that's why they call it an atomic clock. It's an atom with some sort of decay rate. Again, I could be mistaken on whether or not it's cesium, but it is based on that type of structure.
0: But well, what, what observes it? Because obviously the humanists too could, could never under like could never say, Oh yeah, that was six. That was definitely six, not five <laughs> femtoseconds. Like how do they even observe it?
1: Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um and there's an, an entire field of physics dedicated to to measuring um short times. But yeah, they um they use a, a variety of of different techniques. You're right that humans, for the most part, we operate in millisecond time scales. So like I think the fastest human reaction time is like 40 milliseconds. Um so that's Forty thousandths of a second. This thing is happening, you know, on a millionth of a billionth of a second. Like you, you just couldn't hit a stopwatch fast enough. And even a stopwatch, the electronics inside of it aren't yeah. that fast. And so they use these devices. Um, it's probably something like a, a streak camera. A streak camera, um, essentially, when a so when a particle gets emitted, let's say from cesium. Um, if it's an elect, probably an electron or probably a photon, um, they will have a device which will um, streak that photon across a screen. So you can imagine that like when it comes, um, you basically like apply a really fast, it's an electric field to it. And mm. so um, you can find out exactly when that thing came into the, sh- to the streak. Um, so anyway, it's okay. a fast type of, um, they call it a camera. It's not a camera as, as, you and I know it, but, um, they use it to measure very fast particles. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, so femtoseconds, uh, that's the billionth of a millionth of a second. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I assume as all, as humans always do, we want to get, uh, finer and finer. We, we, we don't want to stop there. Right. So there are there, are there, greater or I, I guess even smaller times than that, that we've been able to deserve? Not we, but you know, you
1: know what I'm saying? We, you know, the Royal we, the. Yeah, uh, the humanity. humanity. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, uh, I, I spent a lot of time in, in um, working in ultra fast laser physics. And so we can actually create um, laser pulses that are a thousand times faster than the atomic clock in what's called the attosecond second time scale. And, you know, physicists uh, often get accused mostly by engineers of just doing things for the sake of doing them without any practical application. This actually does have practical applications. Um, When, you know, atoms, you know, decay or when plasmas interact, when you're trying to create a fusion reaction, Electrons and photons move on time scales very fast. Femtoseconds, um, you know, atoms rearrange themselves on the the scale of attoseconds. And so if you want to find out exactly what's happening to a system as you apply a laser, as you apply a magnetic field, um, these are two common fusion devices. Um, They do magnetic fusion and laser fusion is the two that I sort of worked on you wanna know what happens to the system as I start this reaction because fusion reactions are based on symmetry. And so if you create a very fast laser pulse, um, what you can do is you can make a a system, you can make an atom stand still. So imagine that you have a nucleus and you have a number of electrons around it. Um, If you could hit it with a laser pulse very fast, so that you immediately excite an electron out of that state. You can recreate what the system looked like at that point, but it's dependent on how fast you can get the electron out of there. You can get the particle out of there. So um, they do all of these tricks with laser pulses where you just can make them shorter and shorter. Um, And it has to do with passing them through crystals. Um, You can imagine that like, if you have a laser pulse that is one second long and you have another pulse that is one second long um what you can do is you can put them in this doubling crystal which is what we talked about in our last podcast and um if you delay it just so that they only touch they only combine at a certain time then those two one second pulses can create a millisecond pulse well then you can put two millisecond pulses to create a microsecond and then so on and so forth so that's how you create them and that's the application of them Okay,
0: fascinating. Um, I assume I assume there's some sort of limit to that. Obviously, I guess you just get to zero. <laughs> Is that the limit? Like, how do you keep going shorter and shorter and shorter?
1: Um. Yes. So, uh, you know, I think uh, you in our current means of making short pulses with with lasers. Um, There is probably some, there's probably some limit. Um, I don't know what that, what that limit is. There is certainly, I mean, maybe this is your question is how short is it possible for you to even go in the universe? Sure. Um, You know, a lot of this is dictated by something you really like, which is the uncertainty principle. and, And that states that, traditionally you think of, you can't measure the momentum and the position of an object with exact precision. You can measure exactly where a particle is, but you're not gonna know exactly how fast it was going, or you can measure exactly how fast it was going, but you don't know exactly where it is. You can um, change the physics of that equation and you can relate it to energy and time. So at some point, um, you know, if it's energy times time, um, you know, can never be below a certain limit, then um, it's probably just a, also a measure of how low of an energy state can you get, and that will dictate the um, shortest time. It's currently unknown. Um, it, there, it, it seems logical, and most physicists probably would argue that there's got to be a lower limit. We just don't know how finely you can you can tune that.
0: Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, again, it's hard to even kind of comprehend what that looks like at that, at that sort of micro level in terms of time. Femto level even. Yeah. Femto, even whatever's above femto. um, Femto, atto.
1: actually, yocto, I think is.
0: Yocto, I like that one.
1: Yocto, yeah. Ten, that's a a millionth of a millionth of a millionth of a millionth of a second.
0: Is that five? Five millionths?
1: exponential or 4 4, four okay. that's 4 million so 10 to the -24 so you know it's it's kind of like it's just like astronomical figures when you talk about oh how big is is this uh, universe and you think about the number of particles it's way past what humans can understand you know a billion dollars and a trillion dollars is even tough for us to to comprehend so this is just going the other way is like you start dividing things so finely that you lose you don't have any basis in reality for what something that small looks like.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of uh, Zeno's paradox. Have you heard that before? Mm-hmm. Um, which I think like you said it, it, so the paradox is, let's just say you have a turtle in a room and the turtle is going towards the door. If you said, okay, so this turtle is gonna go halfway towards the door and it's gonna stop and it's gonna go halfway towards the door again and then stop and it's gonna keep doing that, it never actually reaches the door theoretically um, and that's again this leads excellently into paradoxes themselves with time because there is some kind of there's some breakdown something happens on the micro level at some point where you just have, kind of have to leap over the threshold into reality from theory if that makes sense i guess that's yeah. kind of what humans are we're kind of the the go-between between theory and reality um but yeah the, the Zeno's paradox was always so like it's so brilliantly simple and and ridiculous like almost ridiculous you're like well of course the turtle is going to past the doorway, right, it's just gonna keep walking. But if you did it with my mathematical principles, it actually, I mean, I don't know math that well, but it never does get to No, the door.
1: It, They would say it, in, it, that's a, a calculus or maybe even a pre-calc concept mm-hmm. that's called the limit. The mm-hmm. limit mm-hmm. as time approaches infinity, the turtle reaches the door, but in reality, it doesn't ever actually get there. It might get 99.99999% of the way there in our lifetime, but it doesn't technically make it there.
0: Right. Right. Which, which again, on the surface sounds ridiculous. Cause you just like, well, it does get there. It just walks across, but you're right. Like when you break it down to theory, there's some, some things start to, some things start to break down a bit. Um, so this leads into, I mean, paradoxes, which is our final sort of major point of this podcast. Um, uh, I'm sure. Well, I don't know. Most people listening to this have probably seen some kind of sci-fi movie, maybe Terminator. Um, I mean, In Back to the future. Yeah. Back to the future. All those types. I mean, just the one we, Tenet uh, is a really interesting one about time inversion, going back and then going forward again. Um, But there are always these weird paradoxes that arise. um, And we wanted to cover maybe three of them, three of the most, uh, well, we found most interesting ones. So, how about this? Let's, we'll go through each of these paradoxes, but as sort of a setup. why is it that things start to break down in theory when we go backwards is that just because again it just goes with the entropy having to go time having to go forward and we start thinking about going backwards it just something breaks
1: yeah and and i think it's all also our concept of of causation you know Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that's i I think that's the main thing that really um that it really gets at is causation dictates our entire lives and our entire understanding of the universe
0: Okay so with causation um, first up we have grandfather paradox so if i was a normal person i'd say in terms of causation my grandfather and my grandmother had my mother and my other grandfather and grandmother had my dad and then they had me so that's pretty straightforward but what if i what if i went back in time and interacted with them what can you can you give us a bit more of the the
1: paradox itself and then yeah the paradox it's a little bit uh i mean more, as many Physic, yeah as many physics paradoxes um are they're they're a little disturbing if you think about them in reality, but you know imagine just in a hypothetical sense that you went back in time and killed your grandfather you're you are only around you know when you think about why you exist like you said, you only exist because your grandfather had you if you go back to well let's say you went back in time to let's say just right after your grandfather was born and then you killed him and is even more disturbing than heavy, killing a baby. But stuff. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's physics, so it's fine, right? It's, it's physics. It's just a thought experiment. Um, yeah. So now you have, would you cease to exist? So the paradox mm-hmm. is like, what happens to you now that you have changed the um, outcome of your existence? And so um yeah, I think, you know, there's there's a couple different aspects to this. Most physicists, uh, movies have their own treatise on, on how they do this, but most physicists um, would probably argue that this would create um, the multiverse, which uh, the Avengers talked about having multiple different timelines that like, you have just branched off of the standard timeline and you have created an alternate timeline where your grandfather did not did not exist, but you do. Um, and uh, it's really difficult for us to, to fathom that, but if time travel is possible, then there's not really any paradox in there. The timeline where your grandfather did exist still is happening, there's just now an alternate timeline. So that's generally how um, movies like Avengers and some other movies get around it is, is, there is a, there's, a, there's a multiverse. But would you still exist in both timelines? Yeah, in, in the multiverse, um, assuming time travel is possible, there can be multiple versions of yourself in time. But if you, but it would seem like even in the,
0: in that second alternate timeline, if you killed your grandfather, what, like, it would seem like that timeline going forward would just be you not being born, right?
1: Um, it, it would seem like that. Um, I mean, it's, you know, in terms of physics, I would ask what what removes you from that timeline? What physical force takes you out of that timeline, right? Like you've clearly found a wormhole or something to, to like be able to go back in time. And if the, the laws of the physics laws of the universe have allowed that, then you're back in that, that timeline and if somebody asks you and says, hey, uh, how are you born? It's like, actually, I wasn't born in this timeline. I was born in a different timeline. And I just came and killed my granddad. And they'd probably be like, wow, you're really messed up, dude. So can you go back to your timeline? We don't want you in ours.
0: But then in that timeline, let's just say there's a third timeline where you don't kill your granddad and you just kind of hang out with him for 50 years. Then eventually you're born again and there's two of you. Would that also be another timeline?
1: That, um. Uh, well, that would only be, that would only be two timelines, right? Yeah. You had your original timeline and then you have a a branch where in that branch, you either choose to kill him or you choose not to kill him. If you choose not to kill him, yeah, you're on a branch and you exist in that timeline. You, yeah, are obviously aging. So you would not meet, you would meet your younger self as your older self, um,
0: well, what what about this? So you don't kill your grandfather in the original timeline. So there's a second timeline where you're just hanging out. You get older and older, and then eventually you meet your younger self. But then your younger self grows up, goes back in time, and then kills you and your grandfather at the time that you came back. What happened? <laughs> I'm making it more and more ridiculous. But what would happen then?
1: <clears throat> you're asking. You're you're asking some really uh,
0: ridiculous questions.
1: Yeah, you know it's. Um, it, 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 this is why these things are paradoxes, is because we don't currently know how to, to test these things. Um, and it's a, it's a lot of speculation. Yeah, it, you know, I guess the, the natural physics example is that, you know, the, the world would ex- exist just how it normally does. And if you were able to travel back in time and create a new timeline, then it's weird, but you just, you're living that timeline just as normal. Um, there is probably, this is probably a good point to mention this uh, concept of the butterfly effect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we're going to mention it, I think, in maybe another paradox, but like the butterfly effect says that... Um, you know if a butterfly would have flapped its wings to the left instead of the right when you were born maybe you would have ended up being the president of the united states right that a tiny insignificant which you think is insignificant event um has far-reaching implications as you sort of map that out from time um and so maybe that's like in that timeline you're living like you decide not to kill your grandfather, but you stop for ice cream and then they run out of ice cream and your granddad never buys an ice cream cone for your grandmother. And so you're, maybe you are never born. Like you don't know the implications of your actions. So just by you going back in time, it, there's the butterfly effect would say that there's no way that that timeline would still w- would still map out where you would be exist in it.
0: Yeah, there would, there would be a new timeline that was created. I'm just, yeah, with the multiverse part, I'm curious if, it just seemed like the original timeline would cease to exist then. There wouldn't necessarily be two different timelines There's just a new timeline that occurs.
1: Well, the, one of the, the aspects of quantum mechanics that leads to this multiverse says that every time you you make a decision or maybe even more importantly, every time Um, there is either a quantum fluctuation or some particle is spin up instead of spin down. It creates a different version of that universe. Um, And so these, these multiple different universes already exist. Again, we touched about this, touched on this a little bit in our last uh, podcast where we talked about an electron taking multiple different um, pathways and it'll always take all of them unless you force it to, only take one and so it is mapping out many different multiverses um, but still ending up in the in the same place
0: mm. yes yeah, so grandfather paradox let's get off of uh, something as morbid as killing your grandfather and move on to something a lot more happy like uh, the let's kill Hitler paradox next mm. um, so this one's as as it may as you may have guessed already pretty straightforward um, this touches upon butterfly effect too but I assume what this is, is it's just, Hey, Hitler, worst guy ever. We can now time travel. What if we just went back and then we killed Hitler? Things would be a lot better. So where's the paradox result in this case?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the, it's probably just in in my mind, it's an extension of the grandfather Mm -hmm. paradox, right? Like if you went back and killed your grandfather, it was almost certainly a a great guy, but like what, what would the future implications of the world be like if you fast forward it how much different would elon must still have come up with the, the company tesla um if you go back and kill hitler there's a pretty good chance that you know tech companies and war efforts and uh northrop grumman and, and a lot of these like uh companies that make um uh, military devices would they even still be around and then maybe you don't people don't have jobs and it, it drastically changes the economy so um again it's it it's just meant to highlight the butterfly effect right like how much impact would it have um and so again i think it's just it's an extension of the grandfather pa- paradox if you go back and change something major
0: yeah i mean if well okay so something major i was going to say you could lump those together and just say what if hitler was your grandfather and you went back in time and killed him then you, then it's a paradox inside a paradox.
1: Ooh, goodness gracious! <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: all right. Anyways, okay. So that yeah, continuation there, butterfly effect. Um, so finally, we'll go. We'll end on one that maybe is a bit uh, lesser lesser known, and that's called the Polchinski paradox, which I didn't know about till very recently. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is my understanding of it. Say you have, you're playing, you're playing pool, right? And you have a, a billiards ball um, and you're about, to, you're about to send the billiards ball towards whatever other billiards ball would help you win the game. And then it, there's this wormhole that emerges and you're like, oh, let me send the wormhole or let me send the billiard ball through the wormhole and see what happens. The problem is that the, the other side of the wormhole uh, comes out right where you would send the billiard ball in so the problem is once you send it in it's then going to emerge at the exact same time right where you would have sent in sent it in and thus it hits the it hits itself somehow and then can't move is that is that a half decent
1: summary of this that's yeah and it's also very mind boggling yes you're exactly right imagine you're playing pool and as you hit the cue ball the cue ball goes into a wormhole goes backward in time and then hits the hits itself before it launches um yeah i think that's yeah that essentially gets to the the nature of it and that's that is no uh easy paradox i think to resolve so you know the thing i like about this paradox is it does use um the physics um it you know it uses physics principles that we understand we at least can mathematically understand the movement of a billiard ball and we can understand um, a wormhole. And so how do you get around the fact that this, you know, like how do you get around this paradox? Like what what happens then? It goes through, goes backwards in time, hits itself now are there now two billiard balls? Does the billiard ball stop do does time just like completely stop? does it start going backwards because you've messed it up too much um and there's uh i think there was there was some research done recently um uh, uh, interesting enough about the butterfly effect and they did some uh quantum uh simulations using qubits and the finding was that um essentially the quantum mechanics doesn't really see the butterfly effect have any noticeable difference. They created these states that were reproducible in a quantum computer and reran the simulations just slightly perturbing the initial state and the outcome was essentially still the same. Um, We don't know how that scales to the macroscopic level, the world that you and I and everyone else lives in. Um, So I think that part of that research showed that it's possible in, in something like this Polchinski paradox that if a, if a billiard ball was to go back in time, it would hit the other billiard ball, but in such a way that it still went through the wormhole because there is some deterministic world we went into. Um, you know, they, they call that, I think like a timeline protection hypothesis or something, which is really just a theory that physicists put in place to make sure that we don't have to think about this too hard. Right. <laughs> so it's just like, uh, don't let it mess it up because it messes up the entire universe. It's like guardrails. Guard
0: basically you're on this yeah. high dangerous road and you're like, let's put some guardrails up because we're going to fall off. Right. Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, so if we want to sum all this up in terms of these paradoxes and time travel and trying to think about going back in time. I suppose there's probably three different options um, in terms of what could be true. So one is what well, we started with, with the multiverse. So something splits off and a new, a new timeline is enacted. Um, and then the second one is the current timeline is irrevocably changed basically, right? So whatever you do, will will the butterfly effect is indeed true and it, it does change. I guess there's three then. The third one is, or four then I should say, the third one is that nature itself will go back and is pretty robust. So even if you change something, it's still set towards a determined outcome. And then the fourth one is just, you can't go back in time. It's just yeah. not possible.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's a great summary of it, Josh. Right, like, um, and one of the paradoxes that we did not mention, um, was the predestination paradox? So, you know, I don't know why in these paradoxes somebody always has to die, but um, I'm going to blame Schrodinger on this. Um, let's say your cat's your cat gets run over, right? And um, in this paradox, you go back in time to find out. Oh, I want to see who ran over my cat, and so you're driving around your neighborhood. Uh, to to set up for it and then you run over your cat and you realize that you were the one who ran over your cat. And so I think that's the scenario you're talking about where the universe is essentially self-correcting. Like anytime you go back, if you go back in time, it's already happened. And so you're in some ways just kind of riding on a timeline that's already happened, right? That's certainly possible. Um, and you know, I think that's uh, that's a very interesting one to think about because it, then it takes away this idea that we have um, control of our lives, right? There's no, wh- where's our choice? Do we not have any sort of choice? And does that mean we don't have choice in our real life? Are we just riding along some timeline?
0: Yeah. Then you get into free will versus predestination. Uh, yeah. Simple. Another simple topic we can save for another time, perhaps. Um, but that that itself might be a paradox between the the Trying to even make a distinction between predestination and free will. Um, that's, I, I don't know much about it. My, my, if I had to guess, I would assume that both exist, if that makes sense. Like on some level, everything has already happened. Again, if you believe in God, God already knows everything that's already happened. But also, you don't know everything that's already happened, and you actually can choose what you want to happen, even if someone already knows what's going to happen. But that gets back to subjective and uh, and the relativity of of measuring things.
1: All right. Anyways, um,
0: paradoxes. Those are a lot of fun. I love I love uh, my mind uh, getting melded or melted. I guess. So we've come to the end of our podcast on time. We won't now start going backwards, as uh, might be most fitting for a podcast on time. We just start and work our way to the. Or, and getting... maybe
1: we'll show this podcast in reverse and see if anyone responds to it, then maybe they're going backwards <laughs> in time. That's
0: how you test to see if time travel actually works. Yeah, right. there we go. Um Well, yes. Thanks everybody for listening to this um, interesting podcast about time. Um, as mentioned before, if you're still listening now um, and you haven't yet subscribed or smashed that like button, apparently um, you can... It, also, if you don't like smashing things, you could just press it lightly I, either way. I'll be okay with it, um, but please do it. Um, and again, yet yeah, uh, we'll be having a, a YouTube live uh, follow up uh, at some point in the, in the indeterminate future or in the past, just depending. We don't know yet. Um, so please stay tuned for that follow up. But yeah, any, uh, any other final comments or, or thoughts you wanted to add here, Lee?
1: No, I think this was one of our most exciting. Ones. I think you're right. It's really fun to end with paradoxes. So um, we, we should make that you. a, a yeah. tradition. Yeah, end with a paradox. Uh, yeah, we'll try to make that, make that a tradition since those are so fun to think of. Sounds good.
0: All right, guys. Well, again, thanks for listening. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Um, and yeah, if you have any questions, feel free to, again, always comment on the video or um, email through my podcast, which again is why would I podcast at gmail.com. All right. Thanks everybody.
1: Thank you much.